Are you just watching episode 40, Deja Vu and Source Code? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin, and if you're listening to this right after I post it, I want to wish you a happy new year for 2014, and I hope that God sends you many blessings in the new year because there's exciting things ahead. God is great. Now, I'm really, really happy that you joined me for this particular episode. Source Code has been on our backlist for a very long time. I finally got to see it, I believe, for the first time sometime this summer and definitely agreed with Daniel. He was the one that originally had put it on our backlist um, that it was a movie worth discussing from a biblical point of view. However, just recently, I saw Deja Vu, which is an older movie than Source Code by several years. It has Denzel Washington in it, but it has a very, very similar story, very similar plot. Um, different, Actually, it's a different story, similar plot. They're both trying to avert a terrorist. Well, I guess avert probably isn't the right word. They're both looking at a past terrorist event and trying to Uh, discern something from it that will allow them to catch the terrorist and prevent him from doing another horrific thing. And so in source code, it's blowing up a commuter train is like the, the first incident and they're trying to stop the terrorist from releasing a dirty bomb in Chicago. And in deja vu, it's a terrorist who has blown up a ferry with a lot of people on it in new Orleans and because of that, they're trying to apprehend the terrorist to find out who did it and apprehend him. Now, both of these events have already happened. And so the movies are a little bit more about viewing the past to, to find out information that's relevant to the present. However, the stories both have the same plot twist in which the way that they view the past allows the hero of the movie thinking outside the box to go back in time and actually change the events of the future. And they're very interesting movies to discuss because there's all this aspects of whether the past is written stone or whether you can go back and change it and and how does that affect the future and all of those different ideas. So I'm very happy that you joined me for this discussion. Now, I love Denzel Washington, so I probably will end up swinging a little bit more to Deja Vu. Um, he's one of my favorite actors. And I have to say that the... The story in Deja Vu has a lot more spiritual aspects in it than in Source Code. So from speaking from a Christian worldview, there's a little bit more to discuss in Deja Vu. However, there is, I think, a very big plot hole in Source Code. And so I'd be interested in in hearing what everybody else uh, thinks about that movie after they've heard my discussion on it. Now, this terrific music is the score for Source Code, and it's by Chris Bacon. And it definitely well portrays the tension uh, of this movie. For me, one of the things that makes a score work well for a movie is that you don't really notice it when you're watching the movie, but when you uh, go back and listen to it, it can throw you back into the movie uh, when you listen to just the music. So it gives it's an integral part of the movie, but it's unobtrusive when you're actually watching it.
And this haunting and moody music is from the score for Deja Vu, which was scored by Harry Gregson Williams. And he's a probably a little better known composer than Chris Bacon. Um, but um, I found most of the soundtrack for Deja Vu was very quiet and haunting and moody. Uh, there's only a couple uh, tracks off the entire soundtrack that are any in any way upbeat. Um, that was the second to the most upbeat one. So that kind of give you an idea of, of how quiet the soundtrack really is. It's very much more of a more introspective action movie than uh, Source Code is. Source Code is the same thing over and over again, and he's trying different things every time. And so there is a lot of action in it. Um, but uh, Deja Vu is a little, moves a little slower, and it is a longer movie. Now, if you haven't seen either of one of these movies, and I probably have already destroyed them if you haven't, but uh, if you haven't seen these movies, I would not recommend them for a younger audience. They are um, somewhat violent. Uh, both of them are, and they both start out with a pretty horrific uh, explosion, a terrorist explosion that takes many lives. And so uh, if you have a uh, sensitivity in any of the potential audience, I wouldn't recommend them. I, I do want to remind you that um, we're not necessarily reviewing movies for family consumption. If you want reviews for that, uh, I do urge you to go to pluggedin.com and I will put uh, specific links to these movies reviews on their website in our show notes. And the show notes will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 40. So that, those are the show notes for this episode. I can't. Yes, you can. You're a born hero, son. Even your father thinks so. Saving people is what you do best. One of the interesting parallels between Source Code and Deja Vu is the motivation that the heroes have. They're both trying to save people that are already dead. In uh, Deja Vu, it's um, all of the people on the train, but particularly Coulter kind of gets a connection with the woman that he's sharing um, seats with. And it appears that his alter ego, Sean, the person who's really on the train, whose memories he's accessing, are um, he knows this woman, but he, it's not a, a situation where they're intimately involved or anything. They're just people who share space on a commuter train, and they see each other every day, and so they know each other. But I think um, it seems to me that Coulter's kind of developing a feeling for her, and he doesn't want her to die. And so... Uh, that's his motivation for trying to find out how to stop this and re change the future so she doesn't die. In Deja Vu, um, Doug Carlin, the agent played by Denzel Washington, is trying to save a woman who's been murdered, uh, who it appears to be in some way involved with the terrorist who is planning to uh, blow up this ferry. And her body shows up um, actually earlier than the bodies from the ferry. It actually shows up and is found before the ferry blows up. So it's made to look like she was on the ferry, but they know because of the timetable of when her body was found that she actually wasn't on the ferry. And so Doug thinks that she is somehow related uh, to how the terrorists set up um, the bombing. And so he starts looking into her death. And in so doing, he is uh, he f he begins to fall in love with her. Now, when we're speaking about someone's motivation, um, this has some very interesting spiritual parallels because these these two men in these two separate movies are trying to save people from dying, and in the Christian worldview, we are trying to save people from eternal hell. 
And I know that there are a lot of people, it, it comes up in the press all the time that they hate to have their sin called sin because they think that that is from a Christian hate speech. It's like you can't call what the way I identify myself and the things I do in my life sin because you're hating me. And that's actually the, the exact opposite of why Christians actually call things sin because we know according to scripture that um, all men sin, that it's not any in any way um, anything that we can draw out as one person doing it that we can hate them for. It's everybody's sins. We all are sinners. We all fall short of God's standards. And so we know the way. Um, it, it's like knowing a way to uh, get away from being punished for something that you've done and not telling anybody else, only just taking it for yourself and not telling anyone else. And knowing the way to paradise and not telling anybody else, that would be incredibly selfish and it would be hateful to those who you're leaving behind. And so it is our motivation as Christians uh, to attempt to save people's eternal souls. That's our motivation. And if we didn't have that motivation, then we wouldn't do any of the things that we do. And so this movie, you know, these these men are going to incredible odds to try and save people's lives. And that's the way that we should as Christians be treating our uh, duty, our call uh, from the Lord in, to reach people who need to know about Him. Whatever you did, you did it already. Whether you send this note or you don't send this note, it doesn't matter. You cannot change the past. It's, it's physically impossible. And, Captain, you cannot deviate from the mission while inside the source code, even to investigate your... even to investigate what happened to you. There's only one continuum on this end, and it cannot be unsettled. Another thing that happens in both movies is that the heroes are both told that what they want to do can't be done. In the first clip, uh, Doug Carlin is told by the S Snow White um, Project uh, geeks that the uh, technology will not allow them to go back and change the past. Even if they were able to go back and do something, uh, affect the the time frame of that they are viewing uh, it it's already happened that way, that there's nothing they can do to change it. And this actually comes out later on in the movie, uh, that several of the things that he attempts to do actually do uh, have seems to have already been done. For instance, he leaves the note, his partner sees it instead of him, and then when his partner goes to stop the terrorist, which is what the note says to do, his partner is killed. Well, at the beginning of the movie, his partner never shows up when the ferry explodes. and Nobody can figure out where he is. And the reason why he never showed up was because he was killed by the terrorist, because Darg Carlin left the note for himself that his partner found and went and confronted the terrorist. The woman was killed because the terrorist had a truck that he was going to drive the bomb onto the ferry with. But when he, uh, or when the agent tried to stop him, he used that car to dispose of the bodies. Therefore, he needed another vehicle to take on the ferry. And so he goes after the woman who had the car that he needed, and she gets killed. So all of that whole chain of events happens because Doug Carlin tries to change the past, even though in the beginning of the movie, uh, it, none of that has happened yet. So it's this uh, circle of events that actually happened because he's trying to change the past. And he even recognizes that at one point when he's gone back in time to try and save her, uh, he realizes that nothing has changed, that he's, he's, he's in the storyline doing the things that he knows has already been done. And it little, a little bit terrifies him. In the second clip, Coulter has determined, has in one of his flashes into the source code, 
uh, has managed to make a call to the organization that is uh, doing source code, and he thinks that the call went through, even though he's been told that what he's doing in source code is just reliving the memories of one of the men who died on the train. And the, um, the problem with that is that they're telling him he's not really going into the past. He's just reliving the memories of this man. So therefore he can't affect the past because he's not really going into the past. So both of these characters are being told they can't change the past. It's already happened. The people are already dead. All they can do is work to apprehend the terrorists that are involved. Now, of course, the point in both of these is that both of the heroes do end up changing the past because they don't know what can't be done. They're willing to think outside the box and try it anyway, even though they are both told that it can't happen, that what they're doing can't affect what's already happened. They still go back and they try and change the, f- the future and they both succeed in doing so and saving the girl, basically. They both save the girl in both movies. But I, f- I find it fascinating that, that the reason why they are able to do that is because they're not hung up on what they're being told are the limitations of the science involved. And I think that that is some of the problem that we have in our current culture is, is that we look at science as something that's set in stone. We're observing something uh, or we, we build a technical gadget and we don't think outside the box of what the application of that science is or whether or not we're missing something in our observation of this science. And so we tend to think of science as something that's written stone that can't be changed. And all it takes is somebody that comes along who's willing to look outside the boundaries of uh, the technology or the or the means of observation and try something different in order to break the bonds of what we think we know. And I think that that's the problem that we have with our current scientific culture is that we're trying so hard to say what it isn't that sometimes we give, we don't allow ourselves to think past what it is and look for uh, other applications or other means of observing or other ways, either different ways of of documenting or even applying what we're learning. And I think part of that is because we are, we think we know it all. We think that we have a way of being uh, human and not being limited by our humanity. And there are spiritual aspects to that because I think of um, the instances where we have allowed ourselves to uh, define God or put God in a box. Well, God is outside of our understanding. But yet, as humans, we want to understand everything. We want to know everything. And so we try to put God in a box and say, this is what God is. But God has attributes beyond our understanding. So when we try to define him or limit him to what we can know, um, we are, in a sense, limiting what God can do in our lives and in our culture. And so that that it's kind of a cautionary tale in that you don't always accept what people tell you uh, happened or even it tell you are your limitations. Think beyond the limitations that people put on you. You said you didn't believe in changing the past. Right. Well, I also believe in God. I'm just going to tell anyone. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate the movie uh, in the movie Deja Vu over uh, source code is the spiritual aspect there. It, there are multiple times where God is really brought up in a favorable light in this movie. One of the things that that clip says to me is, is that there are scientific people out there who are scared to admit that they believe in God. And I know some of those personally. Well, not the ones that are scared, but scientific people who believe in God. They are out there. 
And our culture has made it uh, like a shameful thing. Like there's some complication there that shouldn't exist that if you believe in God, then you can't be a scientist. Or if you're a scientist, that immediately uh, strikes you from believing in God. It just doesn't make any sense that it should be a shameful thing. Because just because you're a scientist doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily block all thoughts of God from what you're doing. And if you believe in God, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're willing to put aside what you can learn through science. They are not mutually exclusive. And so that one comment really caught my attention when I was watching the movie that uh, this this scientist that was involved with the Snow White Project uh, did not uh, want anybody to know that he believed in God. God, thank you for blessing me with this food and with my life. I know today is going to be a great day. Amen. There are two other characters in Deja Vu that seem to express some kind of belief in God. Um, One of them is Claire, the woman that Doug is trying to save. Uh, She says a prayer, and there's there's a lot about her um, just in in her day-to-day life, things her father says about her at her funeral that make you think that she is a believer. Um, It's not really dealt with uh, in depth in this movie because that's not the point of the movie, but I just thought it was very interesting that they went ahead and let her have that spiritual aspect um, that, that she is somebody that Doug is going to end up saving, that her life is going to end up being preserved and, and she doesn't die in the end. Um, but that she is a spiritual character that has that kind of depth to her. The other character, um, and, and the, this is kind of vague is that Doug Carlin, when, when he goes back, he just says one quick little quote. See you yesterday. Odd willing. Now, in both of these movies, the terrorists are set up to look like uh, wacko patriots, which is the one uh, real problem that I have with both movies is they're they're both guys who want to fight for the country, fight for what's right in the country, and they're willing to kill people. They don't care about the collateral damage. And uh, having been personally involved with a lot of people who consider themselves patriots on that side of um, the political realm. I know that mm, I don't. I don't believe I've ever met any that have that kind of uh, view of uh, collateral damage and violence or anything like that. So this is Hollywood's uh, attempt, I think, to taint um, the patriotic view of our country. And uh, but one of the things I wanted to bring out that this uh, terrorist in Deja Vu said uh, that kind of leads to a, a comment that then. Uh, Later on, uh, Doug, Doug Carlin actually repeats back to him uh, when he goes back in time and confronts the terrorists. Uh, he uses his own words against him. Um, but it, it's another uh, kind of a spiritual tie-in. I told you earlier I have a destiny, a purpose. Satan reasons like man, but God thinks of eternity. Well, I prostrate myself before a world that's going to hell in a handbag. Is in all eternity I am here. I will be remembered. That's destiny. A bomb has a destiny. A predetermined fate set by the hand of its creator. And anyone who tries to alter that destiny will be destroyed. Anyone who tries to stop it from happening will cause it to happen. And that's what you don't understand. We're not here to coexist. I'm here to win. So you better have some divine intervention, buddy. You're gonna need it. In a way, what Doug has done by going back and confronting this guy before the bomb goes off and preventing the tragedy that kills all those people on the ferry, as well as the death of Claire, is divine intervention. 
And the fact that they have um, brought God into it in so many places in Deja Vu, it makes me wonder whether the screenwriters of the movie actually wanted you to draw that a conclusion, uh, that there was something divine happening in the fact that Doug Carlin was the one chosen for Snow White. He was the one that thought outside the box and decided to go back, that he made all of these changes and had such an impact that he was actually able to rewrite the future and prevent all the people from dying. And I, to me, that, that just makes the, the movie have that much more depth and more impact overall than Source Code, which was a shorter movie, and they dealt with it in, in just a, a very willful way. Like, um, he wanted to change the future, not just for himself, but for the people on the train, and he does it. Um, but then there's these big plot holes that really bother me, which I will get to later. Just try to think of it this way. God's mind is made up about this. All right? I mean, you know, call it fate, call it destiny, whatever. But it already happened. It will keep happening, and it always will happen. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse here um, by going back and talking about uh, the heroes being told why it can't happen. But this is actually uh, the clip I played earlier with the the, the Snow White Project uh, scientist saying that you can't go back. Um, this is actually a continuation of that comment where he says, um, "God's you want it in spiritual terms, God's mind is made up. Um, you can't change it because his mind is made up. And that's kind of an interesting concept. Is God's mind made up? When we look at uh, scripture, especially in the Old Testament where there's prophets uh, coming and foretelling doom or foretelling the fall of the city or the fall or a death of a king or many things like that uh, through scripture, we find that God can actually change his mind. And so his mind might not necessarily be made up about the the line of events as, as he sees them happening in the future. We have to remember God is outside time. Time is linear to us. We have a past, a present, and then a future. But to God, it's all one thing. It's outside of his um sequential existence, if he even has a sequential existence, he just is. So he can change his mind. And it's interesting what causes him to change his mind. In Second Kings 20, 1 through 6, uh, this is what it's, this is the story that was told. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake." So that's one of the instances where God had used his prophets to prophesy someone's death, and then he changed his mind, told him to go back and change the prophecy. And in that instance, we can see that God's mind isn't made up necessarily, even though it's in the past for us, God is outside time. 
there's another instance of this. This is in uh, Jonah 3. That It's usually the first story that comes up to people's mind of God adverting something that he said he was going to do. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let every one turn from his wicked way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What you experienced was a shadow. It was an afterimage of a victim on a train. This is real life here. In a sense, we're always looking in the past. Even light reflected uh, from yourself in the mirror takes some time to reflect back. I really liked what de- what the deja vu quote there, um, where the um, the the project scientist was saying that you're we're all in a sense we're all looking into the past when we look in the mirror, because light is traveling at a speed and we don't discern that speed, but technically it exists. So we're always like if we look at him in a, into a mirror, we're seeing, you know, a microsecond into the past uh, rather than right at that second or that microsecond second. So being able to look back is a matter of whether you can bend light in such a way that you can see what is recording, what that light is bringing back to you from further back. So it's an interesting theory, but it also makes me think of the fact that we're living in a linear time zone in which we are always on a little bit behind what's really happening and just uh, blows your mind to think that God is outside of time and he's not controlled by those. um, He created light after all. So he's not controlled by what's going on in um, the visual spectrum. And so that is beyond him. Now, the first quote that was there was from source code. And this was Goodwin trying to explain to Coulter that he um, that he, he was living in a shadow when they sent him back through the source code that he, it wasn't real. It was just a shadow of the what was real because it, it, it's just something um, put together from um, from the memories of the event. He doesn't believe her, but. It's just interesting that 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 is the way she describes the difference between what he's experiencing and what is the real world. There are a couple times in the movie where she cuts in and says, you know, we're living on a linear time scale. We're running out of time. You we can you know, you can experience those same eight minutes over and over again. But in the real world, we're we can't roll the clock backwards. And so that's kind of a good reminder to us as well as to to use our time wisely because we can't roll the time backwards. We, if, if we're living in, a, in a, our recollections of what has happened in the past, then we're living in a shadow of what's real, and we need to concentrate on our time frame that we're currently in and making every minute count. 
What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? What would you do? I'd try. You never know what someone might believe. I keep looking at your watch. Christina, what would you do if you knew you had less than a minute to live? I'd make those seconds count. Those two little quotes from the both movies, the first one was from Deja Vu and the second one was from Source Code, um, really caught my attention as... I mean, they're just very quick little things. Um, the first one, actually, both lines are repeated twice in both movies, and uh, they get different answers. Uh, I use the, the last ones. Actually, the last one in Source Code, the first one in Deja Vu, because in Deja Vu, he's asking her because he knows something that she doesn't know because he's uh, gone back to the past. And at the end of the movie, she starts to ask him that um, because it's now the version of him that was not involved in going back to the past and yet she was saved by him and so she recognizes him even though uh his the one that went back to the past died but the one that is existing in that present is still there and so she starts to ask him that question about um how do you tell somebody some a very important thing the uh the one in source code was uh he the first time he asked it uh he talks about calling his father and the second time he asks it is when he's about to be un- unplugged um, to either die or continue his life within source code. And so her answer, I make those seconds count, really works really well there. But beyond that, um, the way they were used in the movies, it, it just kind of struck me um, that life is uncertain. We don't know. I mean, when we're talking to people, we don't know how much longer they have on this realm. We don't know how many seconds they have to live. And so when we're talking to people, we should always be aware of their mortality, um, that they have decisions that they need to make, and that we have a very important thing that we need to um, tell them, and that we need to take the um, chance to go ahead and, and tell it to them, because we never know what they might believe. And only God knows that. And so I just wanted to make a quick tie-in on that. I know that the, neither of those quotes mean what I'm trying to make them say here, but the, the, as Christians, we do have a moral obligation to, number one, understand how frail life is and that we are all mortal and that death is the final outcome. We can postpone it, like in the instance of, of Hezekiah and, and Isaiah, uh, where God gave him 15 more years, but he didn't not die. He did eventually die. And so that is that is the end of all man, that we will eventually face death. We just don't know when it's going to happen. And as Christians, we have a very important thing that we need to share with people. Whether or not they choose to believe it, it's, it's something that we have to share. We're used to viewing space as flat, right? Like this piece of paper. To see something from a distance, light has always had to travel the long way across the flat space in between. But given what I was trying to explain, we could fold the space, bring the target closer to us, create what's known as an Einstein-Rosen bridge, otherwise known as a wormhole, suspend it via gravitational field. That's what we're looking at. That's it. What's on the other end of the bridge? Claire's house. Okay, so that was the explanation of the technology to go back in time in Deja Vu. And to be honest, it actually makes a little bit of sense if you know anything about the speed of light and folding space and all of that. It, it you know, it, it could work. 
you know, we probably don't have the technology to actually do it, but it's theoretically something that you could put together. I mean, at least in my um, amateurish understanding of the science, I, I think it, it sounds very plausible um, that you could view something in the past using a wormhole. Uh, I don't, uh, it's plausible whether it could actually be done as a totally different matter because you, you create this wormhole what keeps things from being sucked back and forth and all of this other kind of stuff and and they do mention the energy drain to create it and all of that eh, I don't know whether you could actually build something in our current technology system that allow you to look in the past or even send somebody back or even a note back like it happens in deja vu but the whole technology of it to me is very plausible um, I don't see any issue with, with that. And it was one of the reasons why the, the movie was, was interesting and had a great deal of impact with me because I could, eh, I could see it happening. Now, source code, here's where I get to where I have a little issue with source code. Uh, when a light bulb's turned off, there's an afterglow, a lingering halo-like effect. You seen it? Yes. Of course. The brain is like that. Its electromagnetic field remains charged just briefly, even after death. Circuits remain open. Now, there's another peculiarity about the brain. It contains a short-term memory track that's approximately eight minutes long, like a convenience store security camera that only records the last portion of the day's activity on its hard drive. Now, we're combining these two phenomena, circuitry that remains viable post-mortem and a memory bank that goes back eight minutes, source code enables us to capitalize on the overlap. Sean Ventress died on that train. Of all the passengers aboard, he was your best link. You two share compatibility in terms of gender, body size, and your synaptic maps. What happens after the eight minutes? After? Nothing. You cease to exist on the train. You cannot exist inside the source code beyond Ventress's eight minutes. Source code is not time travel. Rather, source code is time reassignment. It gives us access to a parallel reality. Okay, am I the only one that sees big, big, big problems with that? First of all, if you're using the recorded memory of somebody's brain after they die, you only have access to what they saw and did during those eight minutes. You don't have access to an entire train, outside a train, a van carrying a atomic weapon, uh, all these other things that goes on in source code. You don't have access to any of that. All you have access is to this man sitting in his seat, what he saw before he blew up. Eight minutes of that. That's all you got. I don't care how many times you send somebody into that memory. It's not going to change. It's the same memory because that's what he saw. The other issue that I have is how did they gain access to that? The guy blew up in a train. Okay, how did they get access to his brain and the stuff that was recorded in it? Another big gaping hole to me. I don't know how that gives you any kind of alternate reality, and I definitely don't see it as a mechanism that you could send somebody theoretically back in time and allow them to change the future. To me, Source code makes no sense. It has absolutely no plausibility to what they're basing it on. They can do science speak whatsoever. They can do science speak like crazy, and it still makes absolutely no sense. Are they plausible? Absolutely not. So I'd, I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. Do you think that the uh, source code was a plausible story? I mean, sure, it was cool to watch the same eight minutes over and over again where he changes what things happen and, and he ends up saving the world. But is it plausible? 
And then, okay, I'm also a little weirded out by the fact that we're seeing him as himself, even though he's actually at Sean, which we see that in a, in a, when he looks at himself in the mirror in the very first eight minutes of the movie. But when he saves the world or saves the train and the city at the end and changes the future theoretically um, and gets to live life with his Christina, uh, he's suddenly himself, not Sean. And then he's still alive in the capsule. The, the real Coulter is still alive because they terminated him in the alternate future but now that he's changed the future he's still alive and he actually is living in two places so does the sean that he is during those eight minutes become the real sean when he saves the the train or does coulter now exist in two realities at the same time and what happened to sean because he was a living man that was on that train and did he just suddenly pass away so I had some problems with the ending of Source Code. Actually, I had some problems with the whole movie. It was very interesting and it was very fun. Uh, the way things happened over and over again reminded me of a very classic film, which I may eventually someday pull out of the archives and, and do something on because it's an amazing film called Millennium, um, where the same events happen more than once from different perspectives. This is different. Source Code was the same perspective changing things every time it happened, and it just I don't know. It didn't work for me. I think Deja Vu had a plausible premise. Possible, probably not, but plausible. And it was had a lot more depth. There was some spiritual stuff to it. Um, the movie was, in my opinion, much better. But I would like to hear what you think. There are multiple ways that you can contact me and give me your thoughts. Probably the best place for you to start a discussion on whether or not... Uh, you found source code to be a, a good movie or not would be in the show notes, the comments for the show notes. And you can find those at areyoujustwatching.com slash 40. I will also be posting uh, on our Facebook page. That's uh, Facebook uh, slash are you just watching? Uh, I would highly encourage you to like us on Facebook because I usually uh, do something on Facebook even before I record uh, definitely post uh, notices when I record an episode uh, so that you can jump to it there. And Facebook's a really great place to start a discussion. So if, if you want to comment there instead of in the show, in the show notes, that's, that's great. Um, you can also call us at 903-231-2221 and leave a voicemail. And I'd love to do a feedback episode sometime, but I currently don't have enough uh, put together enough feedback to do an episode. So feel free to give us a call and leave us feedback. You can also email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Audio files are welcome. You can record a feedback on our website. If you go to our website and at areyoujustwatching.com and look to the right, there is a little uh, link that kind of follows you no matter where you go in the in the website. Uh, that says send a voicemail, and you can record it right there from your computer. So there's uh, multiple ways that you can get in touch with us. I highly encourage you, if you haven't done it already, to go ahead and subscribe um, via iTunes to this podcast so that you can um, automatically get the episodes as they're uploaded. That way you never miss one. Uh, I'm not extremely regular. I know a lot of podcasts have a specific schedule they're set on, and they come out weekly or monthly or whatever. I just kind of 
do one whenever I get the time to really get into a movie or if I've gone to the theater and seen a movie. So uh, I'm not real regular on this, so it might be more helpful for you to go ahead and subscribe uh, so that you don't miss any episodes. I'm not going to do a did you see that on this episode. I have not received any submittals for that. I'm beginning to think that um, people are not interested uh, in, in that segment. And so I probably will start phasing it out and just uh, pull it out whenever I, there's just some little uh, snippet of something that I want to discuss. Um, I didn't have anything on the back burner for this episode. So uh, since I have no submittals and I don't know, don't have anything myself that I want to talk about, um, we're just going to not do it this time. But if you are interested in submitting to that, I would dearly love to have some input on that. And that all you have to do is use one of the uh, options to uh, leave us uh, content that I just said. Um, and if you're sending an email or whatever, you can just say this is for it. Did you see that? Um, either in the subject line or when you call, you can just say that first. This is a did you see that? And then go ahead and, and do it. So um, would really appreciate some submissions on that, but um, I'm not going to press you anymore, obviously, since I have not received any. Um, people are not interested, so we will probably just fade out. I am very thrilled that you were able to tune in and, and listen to this episode. I really would appreciate um, some comments. I, I know that Source Code was kind of built up as this really big movie, and I had never heard of Deja Vu, so I really don't know how it was received when it originally came out. Somehow I completely missed it when it was in the theaters. Um, just curious to know what other people thought of those movies and whether they um, share my objections to the basis for Source Code. So once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back and listen to us again. I'm E. Franklin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.